Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 13. Speak and Destroy is a podcast about all things Metallica. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey. A couple of years ago, I put together a list of the six most metal movies ever. And right in the middle of that list was Hesher. The most recent entry on the list, Hesher features some A-list firepower, including Joseph Gordon-Levitt as the title character, Natalie Portman in the offices of Rain Wilson, the small indie, the debut of writer-director Spencer Susser, should have been huge. Gordon-Levitt based the look, feel, and vibe of his wraith-like near-supernatural character on the late Cliff Burton, legendary basis for Metallica, of course. The band lent the film the use of their music and their trademark logo, as we all know, designed by James Hetfield once upon a time. In the story of Hesher, Hesher appears to a family frozen by grief, shaking up the world of everyone he meets with anarchic gusto. It's often dark, it's often funny... It's a dramedy, and it ultimately carries a positive message. For this episode of Speak and Destroy, I'm going to dig into my interview archives. I've unearthed my conversations with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Rain Wilson, and writer-director Spencer Susser about Hesher. I should point out that when I saw it, I had no idea what a significant role Metallica, or more specifically, the spirit and essence of Cliff Burton, was going to play in the film. Being the massive Metallica nerd that I am... I, of course, picked up on it and introduced that as a topic of conversation to Joseph Gordon-Levitt before I'd read anything about the movie. Happily, he confirmed my suspicions. Hesher actually made it into my top 10 movies of 2011, which included Midnight in Paris, Warrior, The Trip, The Guard, which if you haven't seen that, you definitely need to. Very small little, cool little film. Moneyball, Carnage, Submarine, Melancholia, and The Descendants. Here's a little bit of what I wrote about Hesher back then. I believe Hesher is the lone movie in my top 10 to carry the stain of a rotten rating on the tomato meter. It's an incredibly polarizing movie amongst the small handful of people who saw it. It opened basically nowhere and was seen by virtually nobody. I hosted a pair of Q&As with writer-director Spencer Susser and one of the film's stars at two different opening weekend screenings in Los Angeles. One was sold out, the other barely attended. And like Warrior, most likely suffered from an imaging problem. Is it a comedy? Well, it's pretty funny, but not really. Is it about heavy metal? Well, the title character looks, talks, walks, and stares like late Metallica bassist Cliff Burton, down to the Crimson Ghost tattoo, and is obsessed with the first three Metallica albums. But no, the movie isn't about heavy metal, nor is it made exclusively for heavy metal fans. Joseph Gordon-Levitt's Hesher, just Hesher, is a wraith, a spirit, something esoteric and dark, a twisted version of Mary Poppins combined with Brandon Lee as the crow, whose arrival into the home of a recently shattered family changes everything. While it finds its way to something of a sort of sappy ending, it's completely unsentimental as it gets there, willfully avoiding rote cliches in favor of merciless adherence to character development. Joseph Gordon-Levitt disappears into Hesher. He makes him into an actual being. Rain Wilson, as a disconnected father, is as far from Dwight Schrute as possible. Natalie Portman's performance is completely without vanity. And newcomer Devin Brochu, who anchors the story, is something of a revelation. Spencer Susser made Metallica a central part of the film's atmosphere, despite everyone telling him the band would never agree to let him use their songs, and even if they did, it'd be way too expensive. He ended up writing them a letter and sending them a copy of the film, and won their blessing. I hope Spencer Susser gets to make more movies. And yes, I loved Hesher so much that after I saw it and after I interviewed the cast... I contacted the film's publicity team and said, hey, how can I help? What can I do to help get the word out for this movie? 
And that led to me hosting a couple of Q&As on opening weekend, as I mentioned in that review, with Spencer Saucer and Devin Brochu, who plays the young kid in the movie. Now, I realize I'm predisposed to like this film. It has a lot of dark comedy, which is something I love. The young kid at the center of the story has recently lost his mother, which was something that happened in my own life. And, of course, the spirit of Metallica is all throughout it. Right down to Joseph Gordon-Levitt singing Jump in the Fire as he lights something on fire. But with all of that being said, I swear, it's a good movie even outside of those elements of personal connection for me. Little scene, I know it's out there, on demand, wherever you consume movies. See Hesher. I should also mention that the movie stars legendary actress Piper Laurie from 1961's The Hustler, Twin Peaks, Children of a Lesser God, and of course, probably most memorably as the mom in Carrie. So now, on the first ever mini-episode of Speak and Destroy, have a listen to my conversations with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Rain Wilson, and Spencer Susser, and stick around after that to hear my list of the six most metal movies ever. This is Speak and Destroy. Up first is my interview with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He was smiling and nodding enthusiastically all through my initial observations about the film, which was awesome. I'm not entirely sure, but I believe I was wearing a Metallica shirt or something of that nature when I sat down. I'm a huge advocate of this movie, as you might imagine. Thank you. Um, I've been describing it to my friends as Bad Santa meets Fight Club meets Beavis and Butthead. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, because I sort of saw uh, Hesher as almost a mystical character in this movie. At yeah. various points, you're even thinking, it's like, is this like a Tyler Durden? Is this right. this kid's id? Right. You know, showing up to bring up everything that's that's frozen in this uh, house. Yeah, I think that's astute. Um, thank you. Uh, could you speak a little bit to that, to that sort of the mystical sort of... Uh, uh, Rain actually described Hesher as death. Was the as death. embodiment of, of the Grim Reaper. Right? Yeah, well, I think, you, I think you could see him that way, and I... Uh, I want audiences to see him any number of ways, and I think the writer, director Spencer, constructed the character to be multifaceted in that mm-hmm. way. My job, since I'm playing him, is to keep him a human being. Yeah. Because once you start viewing somebody as a symbol, it starts to get really loosey-goosey and sort of silly, and we wanted to keep this movie feeling real and not just like a caricature. You know, oftentimes yeah. in movies where you have a big, broad character at the center like that. And that's what my friends have been afraid afraid of. That's what I've been It's just going to be that shtick yeah. over and over again. It's going to oh, be so like... somebody doing a metal guy. Like, it's going to be exactly. hipster. It's going to be... Yeah. So that's what's really cool about this story is it goes somewhere. There's layers underneath. And, and that's the thing about Hesher, in fact. He calls himself Hesher, but he's not. He's not a Hesher. I mean, he, he might look kind of like one. But I, you, you look like Cliff Burton, actually. I was wondering if that was your inspiration, because you look exactly like Cliff Burton. That was exactly our inspiration. Funny <laughs> oh, you well. should have picked that up. You didn't read that somewhere? No, I swear to God. Really? Yeah, no. I, in fact, if you want to look, dig up my Twitter feed, I tweeted that when I walked out. That's so funny. Yeah. No, that's something we were exactly talking about, like the same skull on his he's arm, got, the he's same He's got the Misfits Crimson like, Ghost in the same place, and, yeah. the, and, just, and even just the way that the cigarette hangs out of your mouth and the little mustache. Well, we, 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 uh, we were paying a lot of attention to Cliff yeah. Burton, actually, and... 
that was one of the songs I listened to a lot. There's this on on the first Metallica album, Kill 'Em All. Yeah, there's there's That's like what a, you're just that in bass the garage. song. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love that piece of music. He's he's you can tell he's just kind of going for it. Yeah. And um, and that's Hesher for you. He wouldn't he wouldn't go by something he composed. He would just sort of play. Yeah. Have you said that before the Cliff Burton thing? Is that out there? I I have, okay. but um, yeah. but that's cool. You picked up on yeah, it. Metallica yeah. picked up on it too, and we showed them the movies. They didn't used to let music be in movies. The they never let music be in movies. Was the first time. Yeah. They they don't let music be in movies. They have to really, you know, be behind and with the logo and everything. I mean, you know, it was a real honor that they would let us do that and. Um, and and sort of the greatest approval you could ask for, you know, to have the guys who inspired it dig it mm -hmm. um, meant a lot to me. I grew up listening to Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets and stuff, and so it meant a lot to me. Yeah, I was at the Big Four just a, a few days oh, ago. Oh, yeah, how was it? Yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> was um, there everything you'd want it to be. Uh -huh. um, it, so I, I thought it was great that there's, you know, Hesher doesn't really have a name, there's no parents, there's no girlfriend, there's no job, there's no, you know, there, there, it, a lot of that allows us to sort of put what we want into it and to really focus on the, the deep emotions that are actually on the screen because underneath this layer of kind of subversive, unrelenting humor and, and crudeness, uh, there's some really dark, dark places that this movie goes and, and ultimately it, it's redeeming. It's kind of, I, I sort of saw it as like an indie drama disguised as... Sure, you know. I think that's well put. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, what do you tell people about this movie when you're describing to them what it is? <clears throat> I would say, you, you know, it's. What do I tell people about this movie? I, yeah. You know, I mean, this movie's called. You're Hesher. gonna laugh. It's funny, but it's also, you know, it's a movie about dealing with death, and uh, I actually think that a little bit of rambunctious chaos is healthy when dealing with such a somber subject Absolutely. and uh and that's kind of what this movie does and and it's it's really hard to put in the box a lot of my favorite movies are really hard to categorize into any genre um it's it's not just a comedy it's not just a drama it's it is what it is it's a it's a unique story and it, it comes from a really hard place uh, a really heartfelt place spencer susser who co-wrote it and directed it um, this is a personal story for him, and um, I, I just, I love it. Up next, Mr. Rain Wilson. So, I loved this movie. I am a huge champion of it. I've, I've been telling all of my metal brethren that it is, uh, I've been describing it as Bad Santa meets Fight Club, starring Cliff Burton. <laughs> that's, that's been my pitch. I love if I, it. If I were pitching it, that's what I would say. That's great, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and, and uh, interestingly enough, at the screening that I attended, uh, whoever the gentleman was next to me, he was visibly uncomfortable through the whole movie, fidgeting around, sighing heavily, doing a lot of this, and he left about two-thirds of the way through. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I'm, like, you know, tapping my fingers and, like, you know, laughing and cheering and uh, being tugged at by the emotional depth of the movie. Yeah. Were you, were you drawn to sort of the extremes? Because to me, it seems to be a movie that's going to have those extreme reactions yeah it's um it's funny i've done two of those in a row i think super and mm -hmm. hesher are both movies that people either love or they just hate and uh i think there's something pretty cool about that yeah um uh you know the reviews are pretty right down the middle of like this is an abomination on the face of cinema or this is one of the coolest movies i've ever seen um and uh, I like that. It's like uh, living living on the edge a little bit. But those uh, are the best records. Those yep. are the best 
painters. That's the best. Right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. It means that some risks are being taken. My my voicemail used to be a uh, sample of you saying, "Do you watch Battlestar Galactica?" No, you're an idiot. <laughs> and, uh, That's you know, nice. It's kind of that you know, the passion for uh, the things that we love. And right. The exactly. That we yeah. Yeah. Um, now you're so obviously widely recognized as a particularly beloved character, and mm -hmm. I was uh, really impressed right from the beginning. Um, the beard being one obvious new attribute, but I felt like you really disappeared into into this guy and the the numbness and the uh, the depression and everything that sets in. Um, did, were you able to draw upon any life experience or any or any you know people that you've known to to really to go that low? Because the movie actually, as funny as it is, most of the time it's also very dark. Yeah. Um, no, I. Um, uh, you know. This is, I play a guy who's lost his wife, he's shut down, he's grieving, he's popping pills, he's sleeping on the couch, he's living at his mom's house. His life is, the wheels have completely fallen off. But he's really stuck, he's really unable to grieve. And, uh, you know, personally, I haven't lost a family member, thank God, and uh, I haven't gone through that. Um, I do, I am a father, I'm a dad, and uh, a lot of what my character is, is, is being a dad, and so I do have that kind of, really profound connection to my son that I'm able to relate to. But, you know, I do like actors do is like, um, you know, you deeply pretend, you know, you, you enter into this world and um, just have to deeply imagine what, what, what this guy's life is. But, you know, one of the particular challenges of the, of the role was like, this isn't just a grieving guy. I mean, there, you see that in movies, you know, people grieving, they're crying, they're weeping, they're wailing. Mm -hmm. This is a stuck guy. This is a guy who has an enormous reservoir of pain inside of him that he's not able to access. Um, and uh, that's, uh, that was what the big challenge was. It's he's like, just sort of frozen in place. Yeah, he's like frozen. Right and you, what, do you, what do you do with all this emotion that you can't, you can't access? But it has got to be real. It's got to be there. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, that was, it was hard. In talking about this movie with a couple of friends, they were saying uh, that at various points through the movie, they thought that uh, Hesher was actually going to be revealed to be like a Tyler Durden, like a there was such a mysticism about about yeah. him. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that sort of element of the film? It's almost as vulgar and rude and forthright as he is. There's like a, a mysticism. Yeah, there's a deep spiritual component to this. Uh, Hesher is death. You know, he's literally the Grim Reaper with the scythe and the robe. And uh, don't fear the Reaper. Uh, but uh, you could look at the whole movie as if Hesher didn't even really ever exist. You know, that he metaphorically exists and guides this family on this journey. And when death comes to your house, you know, he fucks things up. You know, there's uh, it's chaos and destruction and anarchy and, and mayhem and... Uh, and ultimately a lot of a lot of grief. And finally here's the man himself, the creator of Hesher, writer director Spencer Susser. You have to have some kind of personal connection to this to the story I would think. I mean it's so I mean it's it's very funny, it's also very dark and and very moving. Um yeah, I mean, you know, I I wrote a film about something that was very honest and you know, and I the film's essentially about dealing with loss, you know, and I think it's something that we all go through at some stage in our lives, and, um, but, you know, I also didn't want to make a film that was depressing, mm -hmm. so the idea of, of introducing this crazy character, Hesher, he makes this a bit of a roller coaster ride, 
and um, hopefully makes it entertaining. Yeah, it seems like his job is, I mean, that household is so numb and, and frozen and there's so much beneath the surface that's buried and it seems like Hesher's sheer existence is just to be this force of nature that comes in and uncorks all of that. Well, he is. I mean, he's sort of the wind that changes everything. And, and Hesher also represents a lot of things. You know, Hesher is a complicated person, the character. But that aside, he also, maybe he represents death, you know? Here's this scary thing that shows up at this family's door and moves into their house, and he's not going anywhere. And, you know, and once they sort of learn how to function with him there, he goes away in a sense. Yeah. It's like he causes all this upheaval, but then ultimately there's sort of this deliverance from his arrival as well, which is... Yeah, I mean, he's, I he shakes these people up and sort of snaps them out of it because they're lost, you know, and so sometimes you need that. Now, uh, as a gigantic Metallica fan, um, I know that it, it wasn't until the Paradise Lost documentaries that they even allowed their music to be in films, and someone like Todd Phillips, who comes from the real world of, of music and counterculture, they let him use, you know, song in old school, but they're very protective and certainly of their, their brand, and we see even their logo in here, so I assume they had some uh, awareness and approval of, of this movie at some point. Can you tell me about those conversations? Yeah, when I was writing, I, I had written in the Metallica songs because that's what it needed to be. Yeah. And, you know, Hesher, the character, he loves Metallica. He loves metal, mm -hmm. but more specifically, he loves Metallica. And even more specifically, he loves the early Metallica with yeah. the Cliff Burton stuff. And, um, but everyone told me, no, there's no way you're going to get that. And I said, well, why not? You know, I don't know. I'm just going to, I, that's what it has to be. And when I was finished with the film, I wrote the guys in Metallica a letter, sent them the film, and they watched it. And they really responded to it, and um, that was really kind of super cool. And you know, the other thing is, um, when we were making the film, I, you know, I looked at a lot of the Cliff Burton stuff, mm -hmm. and you he's know, got the Crimson Ghost in the same spot. He's got and that and mustache, the cigarette. Well, I yeah. feel like Hesher doesn't look up to many people, <laughs> but he looks up to Cliff Burton. And from what I know about Cliff Burton, is he was a pretty interesting person. Let alone also a great artist, but he, you know, he. He um, he seemed to. I feel I, I read something about how in the early '80s he wore bell bottoms. Yeah. And it was totally out of style, mm -hmm. and everyone gave him shit for it. And he was like, "This is what I wear. This is I don't care what you think," you know. And he was not about being popular. He was about making music, and so I think there's a lot of those details that Hesher look you know likes about and about cliff and so i would send joe um you know clips of cliff burton talking and little articles that i would find and but we never really said anything about it but when i sent the the film to metallica one of the things they said was that yeah. was that hesher reminded them of cliff burton which was so cool to hear and and i told joe and it was just like it felt really good like we really kind of did that I hope you enjoyed that little treasure from my interview archives. And now, as promised, I'm going to tell you what I think are the six most metal movies of all time. Now, I should point out, there's a book by author Mike McBeardo McPadden called Heavy Metal Movies, Guitar Barbarians, Mutant Bimbos, and Cult Zombies, Amok in the 666 Most Ear and Eye Ripping Big Scream Films Ever. And it's as awesomely exhaustive as the subtitle would suggest. And of course, no list, even one with 666 entries, will ever, will ever feel complete, just as any list will always be debated. 
especially a list with a category as broad as metal movies, which can include anything from Lamb of Gods as the Palace is Burned documentary DVD to The Exorcist for, for a variety of reasons. But for this list, I skipped over band documentaries and concert films like Anvil, The Story of Anvil, and Metallica Through the Never, True Life Tales like Heavy Metal Parking Lot and Metal A Headbanger's Journey, as well as broader-reaching horror fare that most metalheads love because of the imagery and the themes that it shares with the music. This is a group of movies which all have a direct tie to the heavy metal genre, specifically metalhead characters and heavy metal story points. These six metal movies are all flicks worthy of inclusion in any metal music fan's queue. At number six, I put 1988's Black Roses. Everything your parents ever told you about rock and roll just might be true. Black Roses, the hottest band this side of hell. Wikipedia rightly calls this movie metal exploitation, as it certainly played on the once widespread fears that the mere act of listening to heavy metal music could lead to all sorts of mayhem. It was the kind of place where nothing much ever happened. But the nightmare of every parent in town has just arrived. Fictitious band Black Roses turned small town kids into heavy metal fans and uh, evil monsters. What you do with my kids, you son of a bitch! Your kids. You had your chance. Now they're mine. King Cobra, whose transgender vocalist is now known as Marcy Free, mostly performs the music of Black Roses. At number five is 1987's The Gate. There is a passageway to the most evil place you can imagine. A gate behind which the demons wait to take back what was once theirs. Backmasking is a technique where a message gets dropped into an album in a form that sounds like nonsense, but reveals itself when the vinyl is spun backwards. Kids ruined plenty of turntables in the 80s looking for such hidden messages, some of which were real, some accidental, and others simply imagined. The gate begins with teenagers throwing a party after a pair of hapless parents leave for vacation, but that's where the similarities to other 80s movies ends. The action really begins when two boys unwittingly open a demonic portal by playing a heavy metal record backward. One of the boys is Steven Dorff, best known as the villain in Blade, in his film debut. At number four, I put Hesher. Number three, River's Edge, from the crucial heavy metal year of 1986, which is of course the year that gave us Metallica Master of Puppets, Megadeth Peace Sells But Who's Buying, Slayer Rain and Blood, and so many other crucial metal releases. Denim and Leather, Disaffection, a group of blue-collar teens whose moral compasses shift in multiple directions. River's Edge centers around the murder of a young girl and the aftermath of the heavy metal kids caught up in it. Where's Jamie? Killed her. This is unreal, completely unreal. Lane's saying Samson killed Jamie. And you believe them? Well, a bunch of us are going out there to check it out. I don't know. It's probably some joke. The best thing about River's Edge, apart from the soundtrack, which features Slayer and Hallow's Eve, is how intelligently it treats its characters and how spot-on the performances are. This is a real movie, with real drama and real stakes, using heavy metal culture as a backdrop. River's Edge stars Keanu Reeves, Crispin Glover, and the late Dennis Hopper. Number two, released the same year, I told you it was a metal year, 1986's Trick or Treat. Rock and roll will never die. At least not this Halloween. You've heard of raising spirits from the dead by incantations, right? Yes. 
I did that by playing a record backwards. Not to be confused with the 2007 horror anthology Trick or Treat, which is also rad, Trick or Treat is a tale of bullying and revenge gone too far. Sammy Kerr, he's a rock and roll nightmare. I am a big fan of yours. I've got all your records. Shut up! Eddie Weinbauer, a.k.a. The Ragman, is a small-town high school kid who just doesn't fit in. He has one friend, and the pair are teased without mercy by the local jocks. Weinbauer loves heavy metal bands like Megadeth, but his absolute hero is the fictitious Sammy Kerr. After the rocker's death, a radio DJ gives Eddie the only copy of Kerr's final album. Playing the album backward brings Kerr back as a vengeful spirit, whose murderous rampage spins wildly out of control. This message is meant for me. How can you listen to this stuff? to your stereo. I wanted a new one. Sammy Kerr. His fans won't let him die. He won't let them live. You should be loyal to your hero. Make it turn on you. Trick or treat. Looks like we better check out the party punch. That's the band Fastway doing the music for Sammy Kerr. The soundtrack to that movie is awesome. Mark Price, the actor best known as next-door neighbor Skippy on TV's Family Ties, played Eddie. Trick or Treat also featured cameos from Gene Simmons of Kiss as the radio DJ. Wake up, sleepyhead. It's body time! And Ozzy Osbourne as an anti-heavy metal evangelical preacher. Uh, Reverend, let me ask you a question. This album... Uh... Do it like a dog. Now, this uh, this has to be about animal behavior, is that right? Let Material me give you a, an example. I'll okay. have one of the lyrics. Uh, you will, uh, right. Tell me what you honestly think is Go right about. ahead. Gonna drive my long steel missile down on your love channel. Deep, deep, you'll beg for more. Raising hell and serpent score. Feel me, feel me. These evil people have just got to be stopped. And, of course, at number one, 1984's This Is Spinal Tap. If you can see... Yeah. The numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board. Oh. 11, oh, 11, and most of 11, and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. You see, most, most blokes, you know, be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff. You know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Yes, this is a mockumentary. Yes, Spinal Tap satirizes the trappings of heavy metal. But not only are the trials and tribulations of the band relatable to anyone who has been on tour in any capacity, but there's no way to make something as brilliant as Spinal Tap without a genuine love appreciation, and understanding of the subject matter. This is required viewing for anyone in a band and everyone who loves heavy music. The body of work from Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, and director Rob Reiner is too massive to list here, but here's a few of the properties with one or more of their names attached. When Harry Met Sally, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, The Simpsons, Best in Show, Waiting for Guffman, Better Call Saul. That's my list of the six most metal movies ever. 
If you would like to read my list of the six most metal movies ever and watch trailers for each of the films, you can find that article at altpress.com. Just Google the six most metal movies ever, Ryan J. Downey, and you will find it. If you want to see the video versions of my interviews with the cast of the movie Hesher, head on over to movieweb.com. Please, as always, if you're enjoying Speak and Destroy, go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and a review. It's the best thing you can do for us right now to show your support. It helps with the visibility of the podcast. The more people know about it, the more people can discover it and enjoy it as well. You can find Speak and Destroy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find me at Ryan Downey on Twitter, at Superhero HQ on Instagram. Speaking to Stroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. And as always, you guys have been great. And I've been Ryan J. Downey.